Hey, church. Uh, it's great to be worshiping with you live this morning. And I know that we've already had some technical difficulties. I'm told that most of you are, uh, I don't know that anybody heard anything that Sarah said this morning. I just want to tell you it was the most beautiful thing that I've ever experienced. Her prayer was amazing. And so I got to witness that, and it was incredible. So just, just believe that. And I know there might be some other things that pop up uh, sound-wise or some of those things, but just know that we have been testing and we have been iterating <laughs> leading up to this moment, but I know stuff like that happens in life. We, we all know that. And so we're going to be working, working through those things this morning. Well, as we have continued going through this series and talking about who Jesus is based on his very own description of himself, one of the things that it brings to mind for me is, uh, as I've thought about, uh, like, who am I or, or who are you? So if you had to take seven different statements to describe who you are to other people, what would those things be? And, and I would like to think that some of those statements would be a little bit more significant than others in our lives. For example, like, I am a husband. I am a father. Those things are incredibly meaningful and significant, but there's some things about me, too, that maybe you don't even know that wouldn't be as important. At least I hope they are, and I hope there's some other things that would make the list other than these, these things, like I am good at baking blueberry pies. And, and it's very true. My blueberry pies are amazing. I, I bake the best blueberry pies. Uh, I am moderately tall. But, you know, when it comes to my funeral, I'm hoping that people have some other things to say other than just, man, he had a great blueberry pie, and he was kind of tall, and that's about it. So what would you say about yourself? If you had seven I am statements about yourself, what, what would you say or what would you want people to say about you? No one statement would fully sum up who you are, but maybe a collection of those things would reveal to those around you what your character is or who you are as a person on the inside and on the out. And that's been, to me, what's so amazing about going through and looking at the life of Jesus through this lens of these seven metaphors that he uses to describe himself. Uh, today, as we get into this week's I Am Statement, we're going to be in John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11, we meet a family that Jesus is very close to. It's obvious that he spent a lot of time with them in a town called Bethany, and their names are Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It's apparent that Jesus was good friends with Lazarus, that he'd stayed at their house. And Jesus has been traveling around, and as we've encountered him in his other I Am statements, we know that he's been in different places, he's been attending different festivals, that he's been in Jerusalem. And about this time, the leaders of the day are ready to formally execute Jesus. They want to get rid of him, and so they are actively seeking him out in the open. It's not hidden anymore. And so Jesus is staying uh, kind of uh, has a low profile right now. And Jesus hears from this family, Mary, Martha, that Lazarus is sick, and they want him to know about this. In fact, we know that they want him to come because they believe that if Jesus shows up, he can heal him because Jesus has done this before. And Jesus hears the news, and he knows that Lazarus is on his, his sickbed, and yet he doesn't decide to go anywhere. Jesus was a couple days away from Bethany. Uh, Jesus had been staying in that area, knowing that his time had not yet come. Um, Jerusalem, you know, was the hotbed of angst against Jesus with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were looking for him, and yet Jesus, knowing that Lazarus is about to die, knowing that he will die, decides to go and visit him. Although he does something strange, he waits until Lazarus dies to go. 
When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, and this is John chapter 11, verse 20, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, depending on where you are in your faith right now, how you hear Martha's final statement there in that verse might sound to you uh, 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 in two different ways. One would be you can almost hear the resignation in her voice and that, yes, Jesus, if you had been here earlier, I know that you could have healed him because you've done that for so many other people before, but I know eventually because I believe in who God is that we'll see him in the last day. Or you could hear Martha's statement as being one of very great faith. And, and I'm curious if you've thought recently what it looks like for you when, when your faith is at its weakest. What, what are the things that happen around you that kind of bring you down to the point where you're kind of resigned to what's going around you rather than uh, having faith that God is at work or doing something very important in your life? For me, it's when something very bad happens. Uh, that's when my faith is at my weakest. When something I have planned uh, and it falls through and it doesn't work the way that I thought it would, that's when my faith is at my weakest. Uh, but probably the thing actually that gets my faith the lowest is when I see Christians who are not acting like Christians. And, and that for me is one of, one of the times that my faith is the weakest. Now, the longer you've been a Christian, the more that you've seen God show up in those times of weak faith, then, then you're able to build upon that foundation and ready for whatever life throws at you, but it's a common thing for us to question God and struggle with faith when times are hard. When someone dies unexpectedly, you know, where was God in this, or some tragedy crisis happens in our life, where is God in all this? Those things happen. It's a common response. When you're doing your best to do what's right, you might not outright blame God, but maybe you kind of try to forge your own path and try to make things happen in the way that you want them to because it doesn't seem like God is making that happen for you. And when these times happen, when our faith is at our weakest, the desire for a solution to life can either replace our faith or it can either come from a place of faith. And that might affect how you read how Martha reacts to this situation around her. When things aren't going the way that we want them to go, lament is a normal response. Confession, repentance, those are normal responses. And you can see those throughout Scripture. But something that jumps out at me here about Martha is that she knows that Jesus has healed all kinds of people. She's seen him do this. She knows about the story. She believes in him. She's prayed about her brother getting better. She's sent for Jesus, and yet he still died. But Martha's faith in Jesus is still intact, and she's willing to accept that in a world broken by sin, bad things happen. And that doesn't mean that God is against her. And even though she knows you know, that if Jesus had been there, her brother could still be alive, she knows that even now God will give Jesus, whatever he asks for, and that she will continue to trust and believe in him. Jesus tells her that Lazarus will rise again, and Martha's expectation for that coming true uh, is actually going to be a lot more significant than what she thought Jesus meant. But one of the things I want to say about her faith in this moment is something that's sobering, but it's very true. Sometimes bad things in this world happen, and we all know that, and even with an unshakable faith in God, we might not get exactly what we hope for. Let me, let me say that again. Because often, 
the gospel is turned into more of a marketing statement that, hey, if you have faith in God, you will get what you want. You'll become rich. Uh, if you come to church every day, you'll never stop smiling. If you join a small group, your spouse will stop being a terrible person. I, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, these promises that we think of that are extraneous to the gospel, that Jesus, you know, he's handing out cures for every sickness, so sign up online. But listen, some things, sometimes bad things in this world happen, and even with an unshakable faith in God, we might not get exactly what we hope for in the moment. See, Martha seems to understand that. She also seems to understand something that's more important and that will be confirmed by Jesus within this very story. In times of loss, God is still good. In times of crisis, God is still good, and his promises still endure. Right now, her hope is that Lazarus' faith has him in a better place because he was a follower of Jesus and a believer of, of God. And this hope and faith that Mar Martha is able to press forward with comes from the words that come out of Jesus' mouth next in his I am statement. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And yes, what he means is, sure, I can add quality to this physical life, but my deepest concern is for your spiritual life and the separation from God that you experience because of your sin. And Martha's belief is the first step to experiencing resurrection, rejuvenation, the restoration of our souls from the mess that they have entered into because of this life uh, into the fully functional state that they were created for. That's what resurrection does. The promise that no matter how crazy things get in this world, God will breathe new life into us so that we are not stopped by the grave that we become citizens of the kingdom of God, that we can experience and live with him now and experience his promises that we look forward to an eternal life with him in heaven. In this life, it's obvious, especially in days like today or these days, that sin and its little brother temptation seem to follow us wherever we go. We're tempted to be hateful. We're tempted to be jealous. We're tempted to be unkind. We're tempted to be immoral. We're tempted to, be, to lust after our passions. We're tempted to be selfish and self-serving. And when we fall into those things, it robs us of the life that we could have if we were living with God, walking with him. On our own, it's killing our souls. It separates us from God's holiness, that sin and that temptation uh, that we fall into, and it makes us spiritually dead. And yet, Jesus resurrects us, resurrects us from that spiritual death to an eternal life with God that allows us to be reconnected to his holiness. Jesus says, this is why I came. I saw that you were sick. I knew that you were on your deathbed. I knew, in fact, that you were going to die, and yet that still won't stop what I'm about to do. Martha believed in Jesus even in her time of crisis. She'd seen his power and known his truth, but Jesus wasn't done yet because Jesus always Instead of just talking about what he believes to be true and what he calls us to believe to be true, he always follows that up by acting on that belief and confirming that truth. 
Jesus models this perfectly. In fact, to me, this is one of the most brilliant aspects of the uniqueness of Jesus' self-sacrifice. There's nothing else like Jesus in this world. This I am statement of Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life, isn't just a metaphor. Jesus is actually those things. Life with God, both now and eternally, is the life we enter into with Jesus. And because of his resurrection, not only will he go on to resurrect Lazarus from the dead as the only full, fully human being, because he was never separated by God, from God by sin, his life and death and resurrection ensures that his own resurrection will make our spiritual and our physical resurrection possible as well. At the beginning of this sermon, I asked the question, who are you? And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm hoping that being a follower of Jesus, follower of Jesus is the thing that leads you into who you're trying to become. Martha's proclamation of faith in Jesus as the Savior, Son of God, is what leads us to being defined by Jesus' life rather than our own. And that's what we exchange for the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection reconciles and redeems us to be who we should be rather than who we've been. And that's actually more important than Lazarus having been resurrected from physical death. Because that's not actually the miracle that Jesus is expecting us to take away as of primary significance in this narrative. It's simply the proof for those there that what he's about to do in just a little while later with his own life and death, and that resurrection that it signifies is much more significant. The way we evaluate who we should be has more to do with what happens as a result of our belief, what we do with that belief. And that way, when we say what we believe, we have credibility. And this is what Jesus does with his life. Last week, in light of Jesus' I am statement, I am the shepherd, and what is going on in our world, I asked, what voice are you running to? And this week, in light of the resurrection, I'll ask, what life are you working for or towards? Is it reconciliation and redemption, or is it marked more by cynicism and doubt? Is it making things right or making things comfortable? Not everyone, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, not everyone was actually thrilled by this. In fact, there were God-fearing people who were upset that Jesus had brought forth Lazarus in new life. It was apparent that they had a death grip on the life that they were holding on to rather than opening up their hearts to the life that Jesus was offering. And what if the things that are happening in your life right now or in the world around us, what if those are opportunities for that to happen for us now, to release the death grip on the life that we've held on to for so long, for God to do his work of resurrection and restoration and reconciliation in our hearts? What if, with godly wisdom, we can see the ways in which God, for example, is offering us opportunity for racial reconciliation in such a way that it moves us from, the heart, from hardened hearts to those willing to recognize the brokenness of man and exchange that for the goodness of God? With godly wisdom, what if there's an opportunity here to recognize how men and women as first responders that are there to serve and, and protect have always been in between a rock and a hard place as they stand in the gap and trying to do what's right for the most part as godly men and women who are having to deal with the consequences of sin in this world? What if, with godly wisdom, we can see the ways in which having less control over what's going on around us helps us to acknowledge the control that God has always had in infinite measure? 
And what if, what if those are the moments that, that God can use to resurrect us to the new life that he calls us to with Jesus? Remember that within this narrative, Jesus doesn't just dismiss the experience of Lazarus' death as invalid because it would not be his final state. In John chapter 11, verse 35, we find the most easy verse to memorize in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. But recognize the significance of those two words in this narrative, knowing that Lazarus' death was not the end of the story. Jesus enters into the pain and suffering of those around them as real things that need to be made right. And this is a part of resurrection and redemption and reconciliation. If you want to know what kind of life you're working for, look to how closely your heart is moved by what move, moves God's heart. Jesus said, I am the resurrection of the light and the life, and he meant it. He is the source of the deepest kind of life that we can have. It's life on a soul level. And the story of Lazarus is not only just a real story, but it's a picture of what Jesus offers to each one of us. And here's, here's a question that I want you to chew on. What is the greatest gift that Jesus gave Lazarus in this moment? Do you think it was the chance at a few more years on this planet? I mean, I'm sure it would have been interesting. Can you imagine the conversations that people would have with Lazarus? Hey, what is it actually like to die and then to be brought back to life? What does that actually look like? That must have been cool, but it wasn't the greatest gift he gave Lazarus. In fact, we, we know like Lazarus, Lazarus didn't stay alive physically forever. I mean, he's not alive today. And I don't know what it would be like to have a second funeral for someone that you've already mourned at some point in the past. But you also know that his life from there on would be a testimony to the power of Jesus. The greatest gift that he gave Lazarus wasn't physical resurrection, but spiritual resurrection. The chance to be reunited with God the Father's love. And not only that, but to use that gift as a way to give God glory and to show that to others. When Jesus resurrects a soul, it gives us new life to that person, to us, and everyone around them. That's, that's how that's meant to work. When Jesus is the resurrection and the life of, that, of our world, of our lives, that means that Jesus has come into our sickness, our death, our brokenness, our sin, and he said, come out of there. In my life, Jesus came to my brokenness and my sin, my separation from God, and he said, Rob, come, come out of there. Come with me. Walk with me. See how I do it. And he's saying to you and me, come out of that grave. Sin is separating you from God, and you need to come out. And as, as followers of Jesus, we can, we can live life with a wholly different perspective from anyone else around us when it comes to having that peace and knowing that God has made things right in our lives, and we get to be a part of helping others to make things right in their, in their lives. That, that is the gospel that Jesus had came to live out. And as we learn about his sacrifice and his grace and his forgiveness, as we believe like Martha did that he is able, that he's really the chosen Savior from God, that Jesus offers us resurrection, a fresh start, we won't live forever on this earth, but during that time, we get to let loose of the death grip we have on that former life and enter into the one that we had always been called to since the beginning of time. That we can spend our lives giving glory to God who redeems and reconciles our, our soul not, and not only just model that for the people around us who desperately need the gospel of Jesus, 
particularly now, but no more than any other time period in history, but that we get to share that as we live that out. We get to invite other people into that as well. And this is what it means for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. Like I mentioned before, it's not just a metaphor. It really happened. This, this is who Jesus is. He is the resurrection, and he is the life. And so as we enter into a time of communion together and we celebrate that together as a church, I, I want to invite you to think about who you are in light of knowing that you live a resurrected, redeemed, and reconciled life before God, a new one, regardless of what's happening and going on in the world around us. And as we remove ourselves more and more from temptation, sin that keeps us down to keep us looking more like the world around us who don't have the same hope, that we might shine a light brighter, reflect the light of Jesus even brighter and brighter as we become who God has called us to be, not defined by who we've been. If you've got a next step that you know, hey, I, I'm, I have questions about what it looks like to believe in Jesus in this way or to take the next step in my faith and, and what that looks like, we would love to walk through that with you. And so send us a message, go to velocitychurch.info, let us know. But in the meantime, as we share in a time of communion and we focus in on Jesus' sacrifice, let me pray for us uh, that our hearts would be open to the resurrection that Jesus calls us to. God, as we live out our faith, sometimes it's easy to be distracted by looking at life through the lens of, of everything else around us, the way that everyone else uh, around us looks, looks at life. And we know that it's supposed to be different for us as followers of Jesus. So God, we ask that you would work through your Holy Spirit to show us who we need to be in light of the resurrection. Maybe there are some I am statements in our life that don't mesh up with the life that Jesus has called us to. And so, God, we ask you to reveal what those things are through your Holy Spirit, through the godly men and women around us. And, God, we ask that you continue to give us the strength, the hope, the faith, the peace that we need Continue to continue to work to the life that you've called us to. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.